Hello everybody and welcome back to another new edition of Meet the Business. I'm your host of course, I'm Henry Stevens. Everybody, how'd you do? And today joining us from PS Coffee Roasters, we have Simon. Simon, hello. Hello everybody, how's it going? Uh, it's great to talk to you. You well? Yeah, I, I'm doing well. I've had a, a busy few months and a, a busy day. And what about yourself? I'm sure you guys are, are doing really well for yourself. Oh yeah, we're doing well. So let's get right down to it. So. Tell me, what was the idea that sparked your business? I think really what it came down to was um, my brother actually was in the coffee industry for about three years. And I had come home from traveling. Uh, at that point, I'd been traveling nonstop for two years, hadn't been home. And I thought, well, actually, it would be a great idea to set up a hostel. Uh, because I'd been to so many at that point, I figured, well, that's one thing I know is hostel. And my brother actually was like, no, no, no. Well, I, I'd love to start a business. And to be honest, I'd love to do it with you. You know, you've come back home. Uh, I had an honors degree in management. And, you know, we had a lot of uh, good crossover skills. And he just really convinced me that I suppose coffee was the better way to go. Now, I was already into coffee anyway. And uh, I had been doing some light, you know, home roasting on a, on a very, very small machine. It was literally like, a, I don't know what, like, they called it a 200 gram, but nowadays, now that I know better, I think it was more like an 80 gram machine. And uh, yeah, I thought I was producing some amazing stuff on that, um, but I definitely wasn't. And uh, we, yeah, we, we kind of started that. But like the, at that point, I suppose we had no idea we actually wanted to become a roastery. Roastering was just purely a hobby. And we, we actually did a bit of research onto the local town that my brother was already working in. Um, at that point, he was working for Costa Coffee, and um, I suppose no disrespect to the Costa Coffees out there, but uh, as Peter says, he got some excellent training from them, but he also learned how to do things, uh, well, the wrong way in some ways. Uh, now, that might be a bit uh, a PC saying that, but at the same time, I think, I think what he meant was that, you know, there's, there's certain levels to this industry, and... I guess Costa Coffee would be what I would call second wave, you know, the enjoyment of coffee. Whereas what we wanted to do was really like target uh, those finer coffees, you know. And I guess there was a lot of uh, naivety at the time. And uh, I definitely think looking back that, you know, had I known what I know now, I don't know if I would have started uh, what we started. But uh, I purely mean that in the sense of, you know, we really thought what we were producing was, absolutely unbelievable and couldn't be beaten and it's one thing i've learned over time is that you know the more you learn i think the the less you know if you get me yeah uh, i think we're I, every i'm learning absolutely every day and and the more i open up these rabbit holes and cans of worms as i go along it's like wow wow i need to really learn on that and then i start learning more on this and then it goes and goes and goes and before you know it, you realize, wow, there's so much to learn in this industry. And I think I could be in it for 20 years and still not know everything. Um, but ultimately, uh, as I kind of go back a bit, um, when we were starting, we kind of looked around and we were like, well, what we could do is we could just open another coffee shop and just do coffee really, really well. Like, like just buy in specialty coffee and just do it properly because there was nothing like that. Um, there was nothing like that within about 15 kilometers of us at the time. And we would have been the first ones doing it. That being said, we were in a town that was already full of cafes. So we needed something that was a unique selling point. So then we looked into the idea of roasting. 
Uh, so we even thought of only doing roasting. So then we did a lot of research walking around to different cafes saying, look, if we were to become a roasting company, would this be something you're interested in? And at the time, especially, we found that so many places were already tied into the bigger companies because the bigger companies would come along. They'd say, here's a free grinder. Here's the free espresso machine. And really, that's hard to turn that down in the exchange of just having to buy their coffee off them, right? And um, I guess we've all learned since then. But I would say that one thing we learned from that was there probably wasn't a big enough market in just doing that at the time. No, it could have been wrong. Uh, but I think at the time we, we went about it pretty much the right way. I would have done it a little bit different if I started again. But what we ended up doing was we ended up buying a very small roaster, put all our money into that. We rented an espresso machine. We pretty much got kickstarted that way, which is myself and my brother for about three months doing eight to seven every single day. Uh, that was seven days a week. And we did that with no days off, no time off. Um, as soon as we got in the morning, we get in the morning about, uh, about half seven and we get the shop prepped, uh, open at 8 a.m. We would then stay open till seven and then I'd turn on the roaster and get roasting for another two or three hours. Uh, sometimes a lot longer. You have to be up until two, three a.m. in the morning doing that get home, uh, wake up again at about 7 a.m. in the morning and then go again and go again and go again. And like, it was like ridiculous. It was, it was on the point of stupidity, really. We shouldn't have been doing that. It was, uh, you know, they say you've got to work hard when you open up a business and absolutely you do. Uh, I don't think people realize just how much it takes to open a business sometimes. But, uh, you know, I think we kind of did the extreme version of that. We were doing ridiculous hours every single week. And I, I suppose especially me because I was a roaster and I was putting that extra thing in me. And I, and I suppose partly it was my own fault because I really enjoyed the roasting. So I guess that's a really long answer to your question, but uh, it kind of sums it up really why and how we got started. No, that's fantastic. So, you know, who created the name of your company? Good question. Uh, where Peter was working, my brother and uh, partner in this business, um, First off, his name is Peter, so P for Peter, and my name is Simon, so S for Simon, so P.S. Now, it was somebody in his workplace that he was working at, at the time, he was working in the county council, and someone in the council said to him, who knew him, hey, listen, why don't you call it P.S. Coffee, right? And the idea there was that you could take the P.S. and you could do that whole, you know, traditional thing of, oh, P.S., I love you, P.S., whatever, like you'd sign off a letter. So the idea for us at the time was, oh, we could get coffee cups and we can write on it, P.S., uh, have a great day, P.S., love the hat, P.S., oh, best of luck with the match, you know? So whatever it was, the conversation you were having with that person, you could literally write it on the cup just before you hand it to them. Now, in practice, that was not practical at all because you're trying to get through loads and loads of coffees. You're not going to be standing there, oh, give me one second, I want to write a lovely note on this for you. So lovely in theory, but of course, by that stage, the name had already stuck and we were already PS Coffee Roasters. We had integrated a little bit into our bag. So we'd write on, on the back of the, the notes or something. We might say, oh, and PS, this is great with a, a French press. or this is great as an espresso or something like that. Just trying to keep that PS uh, marketing term alive, I guess, in the background. But ultimately, I think, uh, yeah, it's kind of there if we ever need it, but we haven't really used it and utilized it like we had first anticipated. Um, a lot of people thought the PS name came from Poplar Square, where is the square we're actually based on, and that was just pure coincidence. 
So when it came to sort of the cost of setting up a business, how did um, that go in relation to you? So like when, when we were setting up, we just did not want to take out a loan first and foremost. Uh, I think partially because we, we knew that the process to go through that would take a long time. And uh, we were keen to get something going. Uh, it took a long time. I mean, I don't think people realize how long leases take before you go and normally, like sometimes you get lucky, right? You could go meet the landlord, you sign something, but as soon as you start getting solicitors involved, it just takes time. Um, and best case scenario, I think, certainly for us in, in our first shop, it was four months before we got our keys. And I remember like they promised us the keys on the 23rd of December. And we called up on the 23rd of December saying, come on, so we got the keys, we got the keys. And they were like, nah, like just, just, you know, chill out for the next while, you know, it's Christmas, just enjoy yourselves. And we're like, oh my God, we, we, we wanted to use that Christmas holidays to go in and get the, get everything done. And then like be open because, you know, like I didn't have a job at the time and I, you know, at this point I've been home six months. So I'd spent six home, six months at home, essentially planning and prepping and researching and just doing everything that it took uh, to get to that point. So the last thing I wanted to do was take more holidays. I just wanted to get it done. Um, but yeah, like we had a very small budget when we were starting out. Um, it was just over 20,000 euro. And it was, it was quite difficult. But that being said, we just, you know, we looked at what we could get away with in terms of like, we ended up, uh, we've been invited to uh, an old bank that had closed down. So we went in, we basically were told you can take whatever you like from this. So we started taking things apart uh, from the bank and we ended up using some of the tables and stuff that we actually still have in our original shop um, behind the countertop. So we just made stuff from as much as we could. Uh, Peter, my brother, is very handy with that kind of stuff. I'm quite good at it as well. And uh, yeah, we just kind of got stuck in and we just started doing as much stuff with that, as that as we could. We, we called in favors from friends and family. Um, and I definitely think, you know, it's not, while there's only two of us in the business, yeah, like that's a, that's a day-to-day thing. Really, you need that friend and family support to get started if you want to get started on a budget. Otherwise, if you start getting tradesmen involved, um, you know, obviously you need them for the main things, like you need them for electricity. We weren't, we're not electricians. We needed them for plumbing, things like that, even though Peter's actually a very good plumber. Um, it just, we wanted to do the, the, the main stuff through a professional, but then to do anything else that we could through ourselves. So that would be like building a table or um, setting up a menu or any, anything like that. And then we, we got by like, I think our bank balance in the first month or two were just a few hundred and every day we would make money. We'd literally walk straight back down the town and put it straight back in the bank and literally every penny was reinvested into the business. Uh, we went without a wage for months. That was quite hard. Um, yeah. So like, it just like the first six months was, was just gritted and buried and, it was enjoyable. I don't want to take that away, but at the same time, it was just, it, it was hard. Like it was, it was a lot of hard work and, and uh, yeah, I suppose anybody else considering us just to be very aware that it's, it does take a lot of uh, dedication and willpower to get through those first few months. Yeah. So Simon, when it came to sort of marketing, obviously there is digital marketing and there is physical marketing. Which one did you sort of prioritize first? Which one was of interest to you at the beginning? Always digital. Like we, we did try physical marketing. 
So we were approached by a local newspaper when we first started and they made out what was supposed to be this amazing deal. Uh, we decided, oh, 200 for like a quarter page ad on a newspaper, you know, that was a local newspaper, but a big newspaper. I thought, okay, I'll go ahead with that. I don't think we, we got any business from that. Now it's hard to know, but I don't think we did. On the flip side, when we started, we put four euro down on a Facebook advert and that generated 3000 clicks and we had people rolling in the door after that advert. Now it was in particular, that advert was when we launched our burrito offering. So we started doing burritos in the shop and we still do today. Um, but I remember when the ad went out, I was like, wow, that's, that's the best four euro we ever spent. Like it was absolutely amazing. Yeah, so for, for sure, value for money, you just can't beat digital marketing, yeah. So now when it comes to the um, the manufacture of your products, you know, the car, and obviously the design as well, I mean, how did you go about with that? I suppose that was a very gradual process. Um, I suppose at the time we would have looked around and see what all of our competitors were doing. And we took a fairly basic approach to it at the start. We We had this romantic idea that, uh, we would paint each um, paint in each logo. But what we did was we, we did try a few, but it just took too long and it just wasn't really practical. Um, we eventually revised it completely. We, we thought the best approach was to go for this craft looking bag with this kind of aluminium inside lining. Um, but yeah, just for a few reasons, we weren't happy with the bag design. Uh, I won't get into that. We ended up changing it to a white bag because our logo looked better on white and we could buy stickers that went on that. And then in addition to that, we could actually apply a paint to a color, literally a paint. My, my mother used to paint every single bag. Um, and that's kind of where we moved to then. And then we realized that, um, you know, well, not even so much that we realized, we, we'd always wanted to take the most sustainable approach as possible environmentally. We had gone with the compostable cups from day one, and we were actually the first in, oh, definitely our town anyway, to go with compostable. Uh, we, were, we were probably two years ahead of everybody else in the town that way, but we also wanted the same from the bags coffee that we were doing. And we, we tried to search and search and search to see if there was compostable options. Just couldn't find anything really. And then eventually we came across a company who said that if we waited six more months, that they would be ready to do it. That Fox, uh, Fox Pack is the name of that company. And we ended up, you know, basically going ahead with them in the end. Uh, they were able to provide custom made bags for us. So they're absolutely beautiful. I must grab one here so you can have a look at them. So that's those. So we got the artwork done. Uh, my mother no longer did the artwork on them because uh, these are all printed. But this is just one example of what we have. This is our African design. Uh, we have a and America's design as well. And these all gradually change over time. And we have another one. This is one of our original ones. And so far we've had about five or six different designs. And yeah, so we, we, we categorize our coffee now into each of those different bags. Uh, so if it's from Africa, because it's the African bag, if it's from Central America, Central American bag, and if it's from like the South Americas, then it goes into the South American bag. Um, in the future, once we can start to increase our production levels, what we want to have eventually is maybe one per bag. 
and that would be pretty amazing to do. But right now, that's kind of how we categorize them and, and switch them up. Uh, but the material is actually the main reason we went with these. Uh, these are fully compostable home or in industrial. Uh, they're 5% aluminium spray uh, to keep them um, fresh, but 5% is present in the ground anyway, so it's still compostable this way. Um, the, the valve is made from cornstarch. It's got a HP print. Um, and the whole thing is it's just, it's a pretty amazing bag. I think the only thing I have against it is it crinkles a bit easy. Um, but other than that, it's been really good for us. It's got a lovely little zipper on the top. Uh, so very handy for someone at home. They can just open it up and then reseal it very easily. Uh, 250 grams, pretty standard size for most people. Um, yeah, it just uh, so far, so good with them. Um, they are marine tested as well, which was a particular question I was interested in, especially because at the time I'd seen a lot of documentaries on plastic waste at sea. So I like the fact that if these ended up at sea, they would break down there as well. So tell me, tell me more about your clientele now. I mean, how did you become aware of what your clientele was? You know, at the end of the day, it's kind of anybody because, you know, most people drink coffee. Um, you know, generally that would be pretty much anyone 16, 17 years and, and up. And it really is anyone and everyone. So whoever that is, it's, we, 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 you couldn't even, you couldn't narrow it down. It's, it's mad. Uh, I guess uh, if I even tried, the only thing I could do is say, let's go onto Instagram and see what my insights are. And generally those tend to be slightly more female and people between the ages of 25 and 35. But generally that's also the type of people who use Instagram as well. So that doesn't really tell us that much either. Ultimately, what I see is people coming in the door and what I see is a, is a huge range of people. I think probably the youngest people I've seen coming in drinking coffee now is probably, probably, I don't know, 11 or 12 years of age. Not that I've seen many people do that and I often feel weird about it, but at the same time, it's not bad for them. So, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's I guess it's up to them. What are you, what are you going to do, you know, if, if they're into coffee at that age? Fair play, yeah. So, you know, Simon, this is now the chance, if you will, um, to pass on your knowledge and wisdom down to the generations and generations. Um, if you have any advice or tips when it comes to marketing a company, specifically, you know, your company or any company, what would it be? Uh, try and create something viral. Uh, we actually did, uh, three days ago, we got extremely lucky with a post that we put up. And on our page alone has been seen over 350,000 times in the last three days, which is pretty amazing. So that's got us over 2,000 followers literally in the last 24 hours, which has just been mind-blowing. Um, but in a, in a more realistic, uh, what you really, you know, I mean, of course you can realistically do that, but it's not easy to just put, get, get something that goes viral. We just, we just got lucky. Um, in terms of marketing, yeah. Um, look, you just got to be, I think really good photography on Instagram is good. A different approach to what other people are doing. If you can, uh, be very engaged. Always do about three posts a day on your, on your daily feed is what I find works. Um, I know uh, Facebook originally had a, an algorithm whereby only the people who didn't post that often actually got onto the front page at the time, but that's all sort of started to change. I guess it's hard when it comes to digital stuff to give a long-term recommendation because it is changing so fast. Um, but generally, I think this will probably never change maybe is that you should always keep everyone updated and you should have a consistent presence on on your social media especially if that presence is on something like uh, youtube 
because people get used to it, especially on podcasts because people get used to it. Maybe not so much on Instagram, but definitely to keep some sort of a presence there. I think, I think Instagram of all the platforms at the moment is probably the most valuable. And we see that because what they did with Snapchat, for example, they basically gobbled up that. You're looking at them now and what they're doing with TikTok. They're starting to do that with Reels. Um, Facebook own them. They're a huge company. They're bigger than Facebook now, I'd say. And they're just, they, they, I just can't see an end to them in probably the next three or four years. They're just going to keep, keep going really, really well. So, yeah, I'd say that's probably the platform to be on, if any. And, um, and then, of course, the others, as much as you can spread yourself, because I don't know if you know a guy called Gary Vaynerchuk, um, but that's probably maybe my life advice to give you is, is follow that man. The advice he gives on marketing and just promoting yourself is phenomenal. Um, yeah, yeah, just uh, go check that guy out, Gary Vaynerchuk. Absolutely uh, amazing for really good uh, marketing advice. So, Simon, um, are there any um, events you'd recommend people attending? It's a good one. Uh, I guess what is there now with COVID? <laughs> uh, in normal times, I would recommend just go to all the big ones, especially uh, like the world of coffee. I mean, that's that's the holy grail of the coffee world every year. Get get to the the world of coffee. It's where it's at, you know. Um, yeah, AeroPress Championships. Go enter yourself to an AeroPress Championship. Uh, make a fool of yourself. It'll be an amazing experience. Um, what else? The yeah, just kind of look out for general coffee events that just keep popping up, and any big ones, you just know that you know food and beverage stuff as well. That, that there's gonna always be some some big players there, new equipment, new machines. But yeah, definitely, I'd say the world of coffee, as long as it goes ahead, uh, that is probably the, just the best one to go to for sure. Yeah. So when it now comes, we're going to talk about, you know, building a workforce now. Simon, when you were building your workforce, when you looked to the future of building your workforce, what are like the things that makes you really excited about, you know, hiring someone? And also in contrast, what's the thing that's bringing that massive alarm bell saying, danger, danger, danger? Yeah, uh, so building a workforce. I mean, look, you're, you're only as good as your your workforce, really. So it's vitally important that you you hire properly and i guess yeah i think i think what's more important to me when i'm hiring is literally just getting a good feel of the person in an interview and i think that a person's personality and fitting within your current team is more important than what skill level they bring to the team so, for example, if you had person A come in and they were absolutely amazingly skilled, but they had a horrible, horrible personality, they would, they would conflict with everybody in the place, and they were just causing a toxic relationship. It doesn't matter how good they are. You don't want them. You, know? you want someone you can trust and someone who's going to create a good vibe. And, and like, you know, life is so serious as it is, and, and stuff happens every day that you sit out of your control. It makes all the difference when you hire people who can just create a really positive atmosphere. And um, obviously you want to have them as skilled as possible. That's kind of up to you to go and train someone. I think it's better to take someone almost who's got a little bit of training, but hasn't had you know, too many bad habits or has come in from somewhere else. that's as good as yours. Uh, and then you can just kind of tweak what they have and then get them going. Um, that's probably the better way to do about uh, training with, with people. 
But yeah, uh, like I could give you an example of uh, a guy we, we had, um, I won't name his name, but he wasn't very skilled, um, couldn't do a whole lot, but we would put him on the till and he had the best personality in the world. That man really knew how to make someone smile. And when you're having a bad day, you were just so delighted that he was there because he, he was just so amazing at lifting your spirits. And like that, I, I don't think that you always have to hire for skill. And um, you definitely need a bit. But I suppose in my industry in particular, there's, there's a lot of, like for us to work, uh, yes, you can get absolutely very detailed on it, um, like I mentioned earlier, but you can train someone. And it generally only takes about two months to train someone into a, a decent basic level. And then after that, I mean, you're trying to get someone ideally who's genuinely interested because if they're genuinely interested in what they, in where they are, then you're going to get someone who's going to want to learn and it's going to stay there. And other than that, I'd say try to get someone with some decent level of intelligence. Um, you know, I've, Maybe I shouldn't say any more than that, but uh, I've 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 had someone in in the past who uh, was a very lovely person, but again, uh, probably not the most intelligent, and that didn't go too hot either. So I guess you need to have elements of everything uh, in all people that you hire. Um, I'm lucky that the team we have now is all excellent. I don't think I'd change anyone in it. Um, yeah, I'm I'm very happy with where we are now. I think we're actually looking to hire a new person at the moment. And which is brilliant, you know. I, I I didn't know I'd be saying that now after our lockdown a few months ago. Uh, so it's great that you know. I suppose the coffee industry in particular has at least, um, you know, maintained itself a little bit, kind of kept some sort of decent level. I do feel sorry for people who are live, working in cities um, or have places in cities, um, because obviously those have been hit a bit harder, but. Yeah, uh, I don't know what more to say really on, on the, the whole employee thing, um, unless you've got a follow-on question from that. No, my next question would be actually, when you look back at the history of your company, from you know, the, you know, the origin you told us about up to now with this interview, what are some of the biggest issues that you've had to face and overcome? Yeah. Um, God, I suppose like... I don't want to sound like a broken record, but obviously COVID has probably been the hardest one for us because it's so hard to plan now. That's been the hardest. Like you're kind of scratching your head going, do we want to invest X amount of money into this? Because is this the right way to go? Are we going to review this in the sense of, uh, are we going to be going back to seating soon? Because it's a lot of stop start at the moment. And, yeah, I don't know. It, we're kind of, we're just at the moment, we're kind of taking it week by week. That's really the only way we can do this. Um, and most people can do this. And But in general, yeah, I suppose general stuff, we're, we're just kind of thinking ahead uh, and we're, we're taking it with a slightly positive approach in that. Oh yeah. Okay. We're, we're going to be there in a few months. And so let's, let's kind of work towards that, but that's, we're only working in a vague direction at the moment and the more micromanagement stuff we're not. And we're just kind of taking that week by week. Um, in terms of other stuff, I guess, uh, big challenges. Yeah, uh, there's been a couple of things that I would have presumed when I was hiring experts that they were experts and that they would completely advise me on things. What I've learned is that I really need to be a jack of all trades in this job and I need to learn certain things that I never thought I would need. 
um, because as it turns out, some of these experts might have all the paperwork and all the qualifications, but they, I don't know, maybe they may not know the right thing for your particular job. Um, they might give bad advice. Um, yeah, I guess sometimes you just you're just unlucky, and sometimes, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. It's it's just I can think of numerous examples where we just hired people um, to do certain jobs for us, and they didn't fulfill what we had anticipated. And it's a bit frustrating because as I've learned over time, you know, the best thing to do is to really properly outline what it is that you need um, to someone who's about to do a job. So you're like, I want full communication and clarification on what we're doing here. Dum, 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 this is what we want. Um, are you able to do that? And often, you know, if, they're, if they can say they can, then I have to start putting trust in people. And I suppose I shouldn't blame myself at all because, you know, at some stage, you just have to put trust in other people. You can't do everything. Um, but yeah, unfortunately, I have been burnt in some ways by, by certain people and I just have to uh, move on from it and learn from it. And maybe what would I do different? Maybe research their job a little bit more before I got them to do a big job for me. So that at least I'd have some sort of a vague idea as to what way this should be going. Uh, but like, I think sometimes you just got to be lucky and just hope that it all works out. Um, I spoke to a, a plumber recently when we were installing this place and he was advising me on something and I was doing actually research like I was saying I should do um, and I was drawing stuff off and blah 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 and he goes no 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 you don't need to do that the expert's going to do that you don't need to stress yourself because I was getting stressed because you it's quite easy in the business to get stressed about things because there's so many different things within the business that you need to do that you have absolutely no idea about you don't have the skill level of everything. It's impossible to have everything. So it's quite easy then to get stressed about things that obviously you have no control over because you're trying to figure it out in your head and you're just going, I have to trust someone I don't know to do this job. But yet that's what I was trying to do. And this plumber had come up to me and he gone, no, you don't need to worry about that. Um, turns out that I did need to worry about that. But um, look, as I say, uh, sometimes you just got to be... I don't know, lucky or hope that you're not unlucky, I guess. Yeah, and things just work themselves out. So in a world f with thousands of other coffee roasters, other coffee companies, I'm, I've got to ask this because you probably knew it was coming. You know, what did you do to stand out from the crowd? Yeah, good question. I mean, really, when you put it down to it, oh, you see a whole bunch of people and they're all offering speciality coffee and they're all doing something sustainable and, you know, they're all providing the best, whatever the best is coffee in the world, how do you shine, right? And absolutely, how do you shine? I suppose for us, um, there's two genuine passions we've had from day one. And that was, we genuinely had a great passion for coffee and we genuinely had a great passion for the environment. So both of those two things are probably our strongest ass assets here. We are totally obsessed with nailing every single coffee we have. We're stickers about consistency. We I know this might sound bad, but we won't actually sell to certain people who we don't feel will represent our brand properly. And often that has lost us quite a bit of business. But I think that ultimately we have to, I'd rather sell to fewer people, but then know that the people who are representing us um, are representing us really well. 
And then when people go in and have a coffee in those places, they're going, oh, wow, that's really good. Where do you get your coffee? Huh, you get it there, huh? So the idea being is that all people ever hear over time is really good things rather than someone hearing a bad thing. Oh, oh where do you get your coffee? And the next question or the next, next answer is, is someone negative. So, yeah, we, we don't target lots of different places uh, for that reason. Um, we, we basically haven't targeted anyone really. Like it, it's all been a lot of organic growth, which has been much slower than this way. But I suppose then we don't have the expense of the sales team. Um, but it's been nicer to kind of grow this way because it means we can, we can settle in to our progress easier rather than going, okay, we're going to sell to 15 different clients. And then we just realize overnight, oh my God, we can't handle this. And then we just give a bad experience to everyone and then everybody's stressed and no one's having a good time. So yeah, how do we separate ourselves? Ultimately, it's kind of focusing a lot on quality. And I know it's easy to say because everyone says it, but we genuinely do. And the other thing is, as I say, the environment, we, we offer reusable stuff for our wholesale clients. We've been working with a, well, trying to work with, it's, it's pending at the moment, a company down in County Clare about doing a, a recycling thing through plastic. Unfortunately, plastic, uh, code four plastic in Ireland is not recyclable here, which is a bit ridiculous. So it means that any of the so-called recyclable plastics uh, that are code four in Ireland, i.e. all of the, the plastic, like, like this kind of plastic, um, from these generic bags, unfortunately, these are not recyclable in this country. So what, I, what we've been trying to do is work with a fencing company uh, to be able to recycle anything like that that we might have or want to get in the future um, so that at least we could, we know it's going to serve another purpose at a later stage. Um, obviously, going down the compostable route, like I mentioned earlier, that's been huge for us. And I think that is probably the most sustainable option in Ireland at the moment, at least. Um, other than, of course, the reusable option. Um, and that's something that we've done in two different forms. We've done it in the form of uh, containers to locals who around us. And then the other form we do it in is grain pro bags, which are these um, six kilo grain pro bags, which have a double seal at the top. So we seal them off. They transport really well. Um, and then what happens is people collect those. And then once they return them to us, we give them a credit on those towards their accounts as well. So it's, they're being rewarded for being sustainable. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, that's kind of, that's, that's, they're the two main things that will kind of help separate us um other than that yeah it's uh you know it's, it's having certain standards on the coffee like not buying below 85 as, as much as we can avoid it um i am thinking about doing a slight change on that though in the future whereby we might create a second label so that we could buy a slightly lower grade coffee but with the main focus purely being on sustainability as in like buying consistently from the same farmer, even if it isn't an 85 or 86 grade coffee, for example, if it's an 84, 83, as long as it's reasonable, then maybe the fact that like this is so sustainable, like you're, you're able to consistently say, yeah, I'm definitely going to buy from you. The, the farmer knows then I've definitely got this income coming in next year. And then he knows then he can pay his, his staff or hire staff knowing that this sort of income is there and, and going to come next year because we've committed to it. So sometimes I've got to balance these things out. And if, if that means having to set, create a second brand to do something like that, then maybe that's the best thing for me to do. But I'm just an absolute 
passionate person for the environment and for um, creating good quality coffee. So those two things. So Simon, obviously we scale, we provided you, you bought from us a Phil 5000 machine. Obviously how, how useful has it been, you know, since you bought it? Have you felt you've got your return of investment on it and has it expanded and improved your business? Yeah, I don't think I could live without it now. <laughs> it's, uh, it's been a brilliant tool to be able to just simply grab your bag, stick it under a thing, press the pedal, and it just shoots straight out. To be honest, uh, the machine goes sometimes a slight bit faster than we can even keep up, which is great, because you know that when you press the pedal, like, there's always going to be something there. And that's obviously what you want. Uh, it probably saves us at least an hour or two a week, which is great. So while there's a reasonable investment in these, I definitely think over the long run, it's worth it. And, you know, if nothing else, it'll, it'll save up here you know so yeah absolutely um i'm not just saying this it's it's been very good and whenever it, we've had little niggles with it um it's been easy enough to to fix too so yeah fine well simon that is the end of this interview thank you so much for being here and thank you for your um questions and answers <laughs> answers really yeah yeah no worries at all what you do is you put that last question at the very start and then you can just skip the whole interview now everyone loved uh, that was some amazing stuff there and everybody that is the end of today's episode of meet the business i'd like to thank simon again here for giving up his time and talking to us all as always everybody my name's henry stevens goodbye <laughs>